Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you. I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 288. 288. That's crazy to me. I guess we're close to 300. Like, what do I do? At 300, I don't know what to, I don't have any special plans made. I don't know if anybody had, if anybody has an idea, mate, please let me know. Uh, I'd love to do something to celebrate or make it a special episode. I, I don't know what to do there, but if anyone has a special idea, please let me know. Um, today's episode is short, sweet, to the point. I don't want to waste anybody's time. There's really no fluff or filler. I mean, there never really is anyway, but especially today, it's like, Bam, I got like a couple things to say. That's it. Then I'm going to go watch the Jets play the Broncos tonight, get annihilated. Maybe. We'll see. Um, <laughs> and I hate it on the Jets. I don't know. I want to start here, though. As I look around the NFL, I see four coaches who are on the hot seat, meaning I see four coaches who are at risk of being fired. And here is why I believe these coaches might be fired. Number one. The first coach I think is at risk of being fired is the Jets head coach, Adam Gase. This is the most obvious one to me. Uh, I'd be surprised if he made it really to the end of the year. He will likely be fired midseason, if not after losing to the Denver Broncos on Thursday Night Football. If they lose, we'll see what happens there. The Jets are awful. And I know that I dated this just now by saying it's before the game. It doesn't matter. They've been awful for a while. Adam Gase appears to have lost the locker room. Now, the hope was when Adam Gase joined the New York Jets, the hope was that he would be able to help the Jets' young quarterback, Sam Darnold. And instead of helping Sam, it appears that he has just, you know, ruined Sam Darnold instead, which is just, it's a tragedy. It's frustrating for Jets fans, I imagine. Adam Gase appears to be on his way out. Bad leadership. I wouldn't want him working with my son. He is not the answer in New York. It appears pretty obvious right now. Now, the second coach I believe is in the hot seat is the Atlanta Falcons head coach, Dan Quinn. I think he's likely going to get fired. Now, by the way, I'm not rooting for these guys to get fired. I want it to be clear. I'm not comfortable with calling for somebody's job. I don't do, I really, I try not to do that as much as I can because I remember when my dad lost his job in 2008. It's brutal. Like, these are human beings, these are real people. It's not fun. But I also got to say, these are predictions based on what I see. And what I see in Atlanta is that they have developed a culture of blowing leads. I mean, blowing a fourth quarter lead against whoever they're playing, it seems like. Um, You know, it seems like blowing a fourth quarter lead in Atlanta is becoming a common occurrence. And that's not acceptable. That's not okay. That can't happen. And Dan Quinn is supposed to be a defensive-minded head coach. Defense is supposed to be his specialty. And yet, when you watch the Falcons, you go... Huh. I don't I don't see that anywhere at all. I see missed tackles, I see blown assignments, I see maybe the ideas are good, but it's not working in practice. And maybe he's a good coordinator. I don't know. He did well at his previous job, but as a head coach, it's not working. And it become it's become pretty clear watching the Falcons this year. They need new leadership. They blew they blew a lead in the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. They blew a lead, a huge lead in the fourth quarter to the Cowboys. Again, they had a lead, a 16-point lead against the Chicago Bears halfway through the fourth quarter, and they lost, and they keep mismanaging things and doing a lot of things wrong. It's pretty clear to me the Atlanta Falcons need new leadership. Number three, I believe Bill O'Brien for the Houston Texans is at risk of being fired. 
And by the way, Bill O'Brien is not just the head coach in Houston. He's also the general manager. What that means is that Bill O'Brien is not just coaching the team. He's also making personnel decisions. And so, I mean, it seems like he's bad at both, right? (laughs) The Texans are 0-3, and not to mention the earlier past year's failures as well. And then the big moves that Houston made as a general manager, you look at, well, he traded away DeAndre Hopkins. He's a star now in Arizona with the Cardinals. That appears to be a horrible trade. The guy they got for DeAndre Hopkins, David Johnson. Um, The nicest thing I can say is that it was just a very unequal trade. Not a good trade. (laughs) I don't don't want to hate on David Johnson. It's not his fault that he was the victim of a really poor decision by the Houston Texans, making him look bad. I mean, it's just, I feel bad for David Johnson. He was even put in that position in the first place. Terrible trade, horribly unequal. Not to mention they added Brandon Cooks. They added Randall Cobb. Neither of those receivers are really panning out either. Bill O'Brien appears to be a failure both as a head coach and as a general manager. I know that's harsh, but it's true. The Texans are 0-3. The next four games they play, they play Minnesota. They play the Jaguars. They play the Titans. And they play the Green Bay Packers. Week 8, Houston has a bye week. Think about this. At best, at best, the Houston Texans are going to be 3-4 and four going into their bye week, and it's likely going to be a lot worse. It's not good. I believe Bill O'Brien is on his way out. The Texans have this amazing quarterback, Deshaun Watson, and the reality is you cannot waste the best years of Deshaun Watson. That's just awful. That's not acceptable. Now, I want to also be clear, the third coach on this list and the fourth coach on this list have a similar problem. So number three is Bill O'Brien. Number four is the Detroit Lions head coach, Matt Patricia. These guys are both former Bill Belichick assistant head coaches in New England. They've worked with Bill Belichick and they've taken on Bill Belichick's kind of colder approach to being a head coach. And what's sad is they haven't really put their own spin on it. It's not authentic to them. And the problem is, when you act like Bill Belichick, but you're not Bill Belichick, I mean, if you don't have six Super Bowls in New England like Bill Belichick does, it's hard for people to treat you the same way they treat Bill Belichick. You don't have the cachet. You don't command the same level of respect that Bill Belichick does. You can't get away with the the same stuff he can. Brian Flores, the head coach of Miami, is another Bill Belichick assistant, but what he's done is different. He has put his own unique spin, and he's coaching in his own way. He's not trying to be Bill Belichick. He's trying to be Brian Flores, and that is way more effective. What he's doing in Miami, he's building something. It's hard to see. We're looking at Miami now. We're going, ah, we'll see if they work out. But in a couple years, I believe in Miami because partly Brian Flores is not trying to copy somebody else. He's being authentic. He's taking what he learned from Bill Belichick but doing it in his own way. With Matt Patricia and Bill O'Brien, we haven't seen that. Players don't respect that approach unless you're Bill Belichick and can go, hey, I've won six championships. You better listen to what I say. That kind of colder way of ruling your team like a dictator doesn't work unless you have the cachet Bill Belichick does. So again, to be clear, I believe that Matt Patricia, the Detroit Lions head coach, may get fired Detroit, in the, from their ownership, Detroit's ownership is tired of being mediocre. They want to win. They want to be in the playoff hunt. And if the Lions are not in the playoff discussion this year, you know, they're 1-2 and two right now. If they're not in the playoff discussion when the year ends, 
or sooner, they're going to get rid of Matt Patricia, in my opinion. Um, and uh, it might be the right thing. I mean, there's been a lot of dissension in the locker room. A lot of this. People have left angry. People have been really frustrated with Matt Patricia. I don't think it's working. And we might see a total reset with the Detroit Lions. So I've come out. I have said that there are four NFL head coaches on the hot seat. I did a whole topic about why I believe these coaches are at risk of being fired. And what that means is that four new head coaches are going to be brought into these hot seat jobs. So what I want to do, I want to rank the four NFL hot seat jobs that are going to be available potentially coming up pretty soon. Here's the job I would want. And I'm also going to tell you the job that I would avoid. So number one, I believe the best job that could become available by far in the NFL is the job of head coach of the Houston Texans. It starts with their quarterback. They have a superstar quarterback, a young guy, Deshaun Watson. And I want to ask, who would not want to work with Deshaun Watson? You look at what he's done. You look at his ability. You look at his talent. You look at his decision-making, his leadership, everything. I don't know what coach. If there's like four jobs available in the NFL and Houston's one of them, you go to Houston because you want to work with Deshaun Watson. That's pretty obvious. That's pretty clear. And one of the big names emerging as a potential head coach in the NFL is Eric Bieniemy, the offensive coordinator of the Kansas City Chiefs. I would love to watch Eric Bieniemy work with Deshaun Watson. That would be a match made in heaven. I would love that. And by the way, Houston doesn't have a general manager either, which means that they have kind of a cool opportunity to bring in a general manager and bring in a head coach at the same time and collaborate and build something together. The last time I can remember that happening really to a good degree is John Lynch with the 49ers, the general manager pairing with Kyle Shanahan, that coach of the 49ers. They went to a Super Bowl last year. They built a really interesting awesome franchise. They built something pretty cool in San Francisco. I'd love to see something like that happen in Houston with Eric Bieniemy, and then whatever human being becomes the general manager, hopefully, in Houston. Now, the second best job available in the NFL, if, if it becomes available, in my opinion, of the hot seat jobs I mentioned, the second best job that would be available is the Atlanta Falcons head coaching job. I really like what they have. And here's what's attractive about the job in Atlanta. You have a stable quarterback situation. You have a guy, Matt Ryan, who's 35 years old. Yeah, he's not going to be your quarterback forever in Atlanta. But when you come in as a new head coach, you have an immediate need that's already taken care of. Okay, wow. We don't need to build a house. We already have a house in the property. We can figure out how to do the other stuff that needs work around the property. Do landscaping. Do this. Do that. The house is already built. Thank goodness. It's kind of like that in that Kind of like that in Atlanta where I, I, if you were hired by Atlanta, gotta, your number one priority has got to be working on the culture with the Falcons. They have had a history now of blowing leads. I think it's in their head. It's something that you know, doubt creeps in. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. As a coach in Atlanta, you have to find a way to change that. Now, another benefit in Atlanta is you have a patient owner. Now, Arthur Blank is maybe even patient to a fault, the owner in Atlanta. People say he's complacent. When I hear that, if I was a head coach, I'd go, oh, you say complacent, 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 that's not a word. You say complacent, I say, oh, job security, nice. 
I, that's how I feel about that. Um, and what's good about Arthur Blank, you can say, wow, he gave Dan Quinn way too many opportunities in Atlanta. I mean, Dan Quinn still has his job. But the benefit of that is, oh, wow, a coach is going to say, hey, he gave that guy a lot of opportunities. He's likely also going to give me a lot of opportunities. If an owner fires a coach too quickly, it sends a message, oh, I wouldn't want to coach there because guys get fired after like a couple losses in one year. I mean, it's, that's not a good look at all. So I really like the job in Atlanta. Now, the third most appealing job that may come available in the NFL is the head coach of the Detroit Lions. Head coach of the Lions is not the job. My, it would not be my first job, my first choice, I guess, as a head coach in the NFL. If I had to pick, if I look around the league, I'm like, I'm not going, oh, Detroit. That's where I want to coach. But it is an opportunity, and there are not many opportunities like that in the NFL. You have decent ownership. You do have problems with the ownership. There's something that's not quite right there. But the benefit is the ownership in Detroit wants to win. And that gives you leverage as a coach. They are hungry to win games in Detroit. Now, one thing you'd have to do as a coach in uh, Detroit is make a decision about their quarterback, Matthew Stafford. He's only 32 years old. That's not young, but he's also not 37. I mean, there's some wiggle room there. But here is why I would move on from Matthew Stafford if I was a new coach in Detroit. The Lions have tried rebuilding around Matthew Stafford not once, but multiple times, and it hasn't worked. And another negative of keeping Matthew Stafford is that if you keep Stafford, it raises the expectations of how you're supposed to do that year. I'd want to do a full rebuild, reset everything, lower expectations, get a new quarterback, preferably on a young you know, a cheaper rookie contract, reset everything. But the Lions' job is not a terrible opportunity. There are definitely far worse around the NFL, and uh, it's not horrible. Now, of the four jobs I think may become available in the NFL, the fourth, uh, the worst, the least appealing job opportunity that could become available in the NFL is by far the head coach of the New York Jets. You do not want this job. We see all the time young first-time head coaches take on opportunities with bad organizations. And guess what? They get fired. They don't have a good time. It seems like a good opportunity. Oh, an NFL head coach. It's my dream. I want to be a head coach. That's so cool. But I'm telling people, sometimes you got to wait for the right opportunity not necessarily your first opportunity. Right? So sometimes it's good to relax and take a deep breath and say, I, I want a better opportunity than that. You may not ever get more than one shot to be a head coach in the NFL. Some guys get one opportunity. That's it. And if you're only ever going to get one opportunity guaranteed, give yourself the best possible opportunity you can have. Find a stable owner. Have a good quarterback. Make a team like the New York Jets somebody else's problem. Why deal with it? Why make that your problem? The Jets have crappy ownership. The Jets have a young quarterback, Sam Darnold, who he looks lost. He may be beyond fixing. I mean, Houston or New York. Deshaun Watson and a re- I mean, Deshaun Watson or a rookie quarterback or Sam Darnold. I would take Deshaun Watson in Houston every single time. 
And I, and I like Sam Darnold, although I, I'm nervous about him in his future. Now, the best thing about the Jets by far is for sure their fan base. I love their fans. They're crazy. They're ravenous. They're passionate. They're angry. They want to win. They're, they care a lot, and that's really, really cool. And I genuinely feel bad for a fan of the New York Jets. I don't wish that on anybody. And those people, um, you know, they are emotionally invested, and they look miserable. I just go, oh, you poor people. But as a head coach, it's not your job to care for Jets fans, especially if you haven't taken the job yet. As a coach, your job is to take care of your family and try to win games. And the well-being of the Jets organization is not your problem, so why make it your problem? For example, Eric Bieniemy is the Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator, and that is a really nice gig. You got, man, you got a, you're winning, you got a great quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, a good staff around you. You're working for Andy Reid. Good players. Again, you're winning, and that's really, really fun. And I would argue that the offensive coordinator job in Kansas City is straight up a better job than head coach of the New York Jets. And you would go, what? That's a step down. But doesn't quality of life matter? It should. And it definitely does. If you want to be a head coach and the Jets are your only opportunity, it might be better just to wait. Say, ah, I'm good. And I want to coach. I mean, the, the best way this was ever handled was by Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick, it's kind of crazy, took the Jets head coaching job for one day. Took the job, looked around and went, oh man, ownership is bad. Uh, I don't like my situation. And he stepped down. Now, when he stepped down, he was very clear saying, hey, I want to be a coach. I like coaching. I just don't know that I'm going to have a good time here. You, gotta, you can't just say, I don't want to coach, because that makes people go, ah, well, he didn't take the Jets job. He had an opportunity. No, be clear. I want to be a coach. I just don't want to be a coach for the Jets, right? Um, I don't know. Again, I feel bad for Jets fans. If I was a NFL head coach, a potential NFL head coach, I would avoid the Jets like a plague. I would not want to coach there. I wouldn't want to be a part of what they're doing. People say they're going to draft Trevor Lawrence. Come on, Zach. Sure. Um, but you also drafted Sam Darnold. And are you going to ruin that one too? I mean, I don't, I just, again, I always, if you can avoid working for bad ownership. Again, Bill Belichick, one of the best moves he ever made was avoiding working for the Jets. He looked around, took the job, looked around, said ownership, the potential ownership is bad. Uh, the situation isn't great. He quit after one day. I'm not trying to hate on the New York Jets, but man, I, I, that job is going to become available. And I go, mm, I, I wouldn't take that job. I mean, there's a reason why the Cincinnati Bengals head coach, Zach Taylor, before being the Bengals head coach, you know what he did? Was he an offensive coordinator? Was he a head coach somewhere else? Was he, was he highly qualified? No. Zach Taylor, the Bengals head coach, before being the coach of the Bengals, was a quarterback coach of the LA Rams. Now, it's a little different in LA because the head coach is also the offensive coordinator. I get it. You can argue with me all day if you want. But my point is, the Bengals weren't able to bring in a really high-level top candidate because high-level top coaching candidates – don't want to coach in Cincinnati. 
it's going to become very quickly the same with the New York Jets. People are going to realize, oh, I don't know that I, and I, I'm happy to be wrong. I hope, in fact, to be clear, I really, really hope that the Jets can bring in an incredible coach, a guy who's accomplished, who's done a lot, who is like, man, let's turn things around. Because I, I don't want to see the Jets be bad and miserable. Jets fans think I hate them. I'm not a hater. I don't care. I don't, I just, I look at what they are right now and I would say, man, if my friend called me saying, hey, dude, I'm considering becoming the, the new Jets head coach, what do you think? I'd say, run far away. You don't want that job. Wait for a better opportunity. It's like if my friend called me and said, hey, I'm going to buy a house that's falling apart and needs a million dollars worth of renovations. I would say, what are you doing? That's a bad investment, bro. Don't do that. It's a similar thing. And uh, I just, if I were a head coaching candidate, I would avoid the New York Jets like they are the plague. All right, guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break when I return. Um, Voice is having a hard time today. I, uh, I'm going to talk about the Lions beating the Cardinals, what happened there. We'll talk about the NBA Finals Game 1. We'll do Ask Zach and uh, good stuff ahead. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Again, I hope you're doing well. I, uh, Man, I, the smoke is gone here. I'm so much happier. It's crazy how much being able to go outside is a, an emotional lift. I just hope you're doing well. I want to talk about this now. On Sunday, the Detroit Lions beat the Cardinals 26-23. to I was surprised. I went, what? What happened? So I watched the game, and uh, everybody knows I'm a big believer in Kyler Murray. I watched his film. I go, wow, the dude's supremely talented, really good stuff on tape. And good habits, too. He's got good NFL habits, had him since college, did well last year. But on Sunday... Kyler Murray, the Cardinals quarterback, there's no other way to put it. He had a bad game. He had three interceptions. Uh, one was tipped, but another one was also dropped later, so they really kind of even out. Should have had three interceptions. He did have three interceptions. Um, Kyler did have a couple good plays. His talent was on display. He had a cool touchdown run to the left side where he made a man miss, ran to the left pylon, also had a touchdown on the right corner to Andy Isabella, like a great throw for sure. I mean, Kyler's very, very talented. But the turnovers that he had on Sunday really allowed Detroit to hang around. And yeah, the Lions were 0-2 going into that game. They lost to the Bears. They got embarrassed by the Green Bay Packers. But they're still a professional football team. And they're also not awful the same way teams like the New York Jets are. So if you're going to give the Lions a ton of opportunities to hang around and win a game, they will win the game. I mean, they're not—the Lions are capable. They're not the worst team. they got a solid quarterback— their coach has problems, but he's actually a good uh, schematic coach. I mean, schematically, he does good. He's got good uh, defensive design. And I don't know, man. The Lions, they won the game. I mean, the Cardinals, in my opinion, watching this game, I went, the Lions just were allowed to hang around and hang around and hang around, and the Cardinals couldn't make it happen. And there was a particularly frustrating play. It's kind of a microcosm of what happened with Kyler Murray on Sunday. There were a lot of bad decisions that I went, why are you doing that? So on a third and nine, the Lions defense, uh, you know, they double covered both outside receivers down the sideline with safety help. And Kyler, for whatever reason, I don't understand, launches a deep ball down the right sideline to Keyshawn Johnson. Keyshawn Johnson is not awful. Uh, he's a solid, interesting contributor, but he's not. He's like he's like just above a practice squad player. I don't want to trash on him because, again, he's got a couple moments where I'm like, ah, nice play, kid. But for the most part, you go Keyshawn Johnson – 
not the dude you want to throw the ball to in a double coverage situation. Like, first of all, you have Andy Isabella wide open on like a 12-yard out route. That would have been a first down. Throw Andy Isabella the ball. What are you doing, Kyler? But second of all, if you're going to launch a ball into double coverage, you have DeAndre Hopkins on the left side. Throw to DeAndre Hopkins. What is going on? I don't understand. Um, And a lot of the game, I was sitting watching going, I don't understand. I don't understand. Why is Kyler throwing the ball here? Why is he throwing there? And... I know Kyler's better than how he played on Sunday against Detroit. He's got to play a lot better moving forward if the Cardinals want to win a lot of games. I think they're capable of it very clearly. They should have won on Sunday. Kyler kind of threw the game away for his team. It's really disappointing and frustrating to see. Now, the good news is their new receiver, DeAndre Hopkins, is fitting in very, very well in Arizona. He had 10 catches for 137 yards. Honestly, I think Kyler... Could have thrown in the ball a couple more times and been very much okay with it. He was targeted 12 times. I think, again, you could have thrown DeAndre Hopkins the ball like 15 times on Sunday for like 200 yards, and you would have been better off. Now, I will say, for the Lions' perspective, I know Lions fans are like, can you can you talk about Detroit at all? Um, it was cool to see Lions rookie cornerback Jeff Okuda get an interception. He had a tough start to the NFL season. He's a rookie. And, I mean, think about this. He played early on in his rookie season. He played Aaron Rodgers, who is a Hall of Fame quarterback and who is shredding people this year. Then he was guarding DeAndre Hopkins, a top-notch star receiver in the NFL. That's a really, really tough way to start the year. So, for Lions fans, be patient. He's going to be just fine. Uh, Jeff Okuda is very talented. We saw that. He had a great interception. Uh, The story of the game, though, the Lions beat the Cardinals— the story of the game is that Kyler Murray was bad. Kyler Murray's got to be better moving forward. He made a lot of bad decisions, and that cannot happen moving forward. Kyler Murray's got to be better. He cannot have another game like he did against Detroit. And it was alarming to go, wow, you're capable of that? I get it. Everyone has a bad game, but that bad game was really, really bad and showed a lot of weaknesses and inconsistencies with Kyler Murray. And I went, ooh, I don't like that really at all. Now let's talk about the NBA Finals. Um, I need some pineapple juice first. In, uh, as I try to clear my throat and get through this, um, I get. I look. I love my job. I hope it's clear. I just my. I'm having a. I think I need my wisdom teeth out. Something's going on with my mouth, and I've been to the doctors, and they said nothing's wrong. And I said, I don't believe you. It's been a weird back and forth. My tonsils are like the size of, uh, like literally is the size of a golf ball in the back of my throat, both of them. And the doctors looked at that and said, you're fine. And I said, uh, I can not breathe out my nose. I don't feel fine. <laughs> and so we're, I don't know what to do here. I hate the American healthcare system. Um, I want to just talk about the NBA finals. I'm sorry for bothering you with my problems. Um, in the, in game one of the NBA finals, the Lakers won 116 to 98. And really the truth is that the game was a lot more of a blowout than even that score would suggest. I mean, there was a point in the third quarter where the Lakers were up by 30 points and you went, ooh, what's going on? And going into this game, I don't really have a dog in the fight. I'm I really like LeBron James. I love Jimmy Butler. 
Both teams have compelling players. I love Duncan Robinson for Miami. If you don't know Duncan Robinson's story, it's really cool. He was a an undrafted rookie free agent. What am I saying? An undrafted free agent out of uh, wasn't drafted in the NBA draft out of Michigan. Before that, he played Division three basketball at Williams College, and he went from being undrafted two years ago to now being a starter in the NBA Finals. That's very very cool. It's cool to see LeBron play his old team and his old head coach Eric Spolstra. Uh, I think the Lakers have a couple compelling players. It's cool to watch Anthony Davis, who suffered for years with the New Orleans Pelicans, now finally on a big stage playing well for the Lakers. Uh, he was our leading scorer in Game 1. The Lakers have Dwight Howard. He was starting in NBA Finals Game 1. You're like, what, Dwight Howard? What a crazy, cool comeback story that is. And so I don't care who wins. I want to have a good series. I want entertaining fun basketball and unfortunately game one crickets man it wasn't that it was not entertaining it wasn't fun I mean like if you like the Lakers you had a great time because like yeah Lakers killing it but there was no tension there was no drama um the Lakers won easily now Miami had two starters get hurt they lost Goran Dragic they lost Bam Adebayo uh had a he had a shoulder injury I am curious if and if so how Miami can bounce back in game two. But the Lakers shot the ball extremely well from beyond the arc. Their three-point ball was phenomenal in the first half. They were 11 for 17 in the first half. Uh, Maybe the Lakers cool off as the series goes on. But Miami looks injured. Uh, They also have a big size disadvantage where the Lakers put Dwight Howard into their starting lineup. And that's like, whoa, it's a head-turner because the Lakers are simply now way, way bigger than the Miami Heat. And so I don't want to overreact to game one, but it sure looks like the Lakers are going to win the series uh, maybe even in four games. I mean, you went, ooh, this is not competitive. Now, that's one game. Uh, I get also that when you're down by 30 points, you really ease off the gas and uh, you let you take your starters out and your, sh- your focus will shift to, you know, you turn your focus to game two and say, let's worry about the next game. We lost this one. We'll go back to the drawing board. Uh, but after one game, I'm not hopeful that we're going to get a fun, interesting, competitive series in the NBA Finals. Now, it's cool to see Dwight Howard uh, do well. I'd love to see Anthony Davis get a ring. Both of them are a cool, compelling story. But the story to me of this year's NBA Finals is for sure, without a doubt, LeBron James. If you are not paying attention to LeBron James, I think you're looking at the wrong thing. And I know people hate LeBron, uh, but you got to realize this is year... 17 for LeBron James, his 17th season in the NBA, and he still looks dominant. He is leading his team to an NBA championship. How crazy is that? I mean, it's I don't I think it, and I, I think still somehow, despite all the praise and love he gets, and I know that I think people like I'm I'm gonna say their name a different way. Espen, they're the big media companies. They overhype people, and they say a lot of stuff. And the more you cover a person, even if they're great, like if you overplay a good song, you get tired of that song. And I think LeBron gets overplayed a lot, and people are just sick of hearing his name and sick of hearing how great he is. But I think because of that, he's actually not appreciated enough by the general public. He's incredible. Year 17, uh, doing what he's doing. You can hate LeBron if you want. It's your choice. Uh, But if he wins... That would be four different championships with four, with three, not with three different organizations. Remember Miami, 
He brought Cleveland to championship. How crazy is that? And then now the LA Lakers. He brought the Lakers back to prominence. Um, holds nearly every record. He isn't done yet either. You have to respect the career that LeBron James has had. And uh, I, I certainly do. So, again, I, I think it's unfortunate. Kind of like, what? Pick, think of your favorite song. If you listen to your favorite song over and over and over again. Now, I, I'm weird. I'm one of those guys. People make fun of me. I can listen to the same song for like two weeks in a row. Literally, I hit the, there's a button on the iPhone where you hit the button. looks like a little circle with a one. It plays it over and over and over again. But most people can't do that. And so I think LeBron James has been overplayed a little bit by big media networks, Espen and the like. I say Espen intentionally. But I think because of that, again, LeBron is underappreciated. So game one of the NBA Finals, his 17th year, LeBron had 25 points, 13 rebounds, 9 assists in 17 in his 17th year in the NBA. That's crazy to me. It's so impressive. I hope the year, I hope the series gets better. I want a fun, competitive NBA Finals. Game one was not competitive. Game one was not very fun. Unless I guess you're a Laker fan, which I'm not. I want a good time, though. I hope Miami can bounce back. Um, you know, they got to this point with impressive defense. We didn't see that on Wednesday night. Game two is on Friday. We'll see how that goes. That's tomorrow. Um, but I was very, very, I'll be honest disappointed with the NBA Finals Game 1. I don't know what I expected, um, but I wanted a good time, and I didn't really have it. So uh, maybe we'll get that as the, year, as the Finals progress, but I'm also not hopeful of that either. We'll see, but I went, ah, LeBron is amazing, and the Lakers look dominant, and we'll see if that continues or not as the series will go on. Okay, I want to end the show with Ask Zach. It's my favorite part of the show. It's where we which is where I answer questions from the audience. In case you don't know how it works, you go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. You give a dollar a month. You can give more if you want to. Please do. It literally helps pay my rent. Uh, I think people think I'm some gigantic rich YouTuber. I know that my subscriber count is high. Uh, monetization is, uh, is spotty at best. So um, Patreon really helps me. Uh, and what I like is it make, helps me connect with people uh, that watch the show and really want to invest in the show. Um, so like YouTube comments, I don't read anymore. I just like, I, I, I a couple I do cause I try, there are some nice people out there, but for the most part, it's just not good for my health either. I just avoid it. Uh, now if you submit a question I do not guarantee to read your question on the show, my only guarantee is I look at every single question, comment, concern, thought or idea, everything people send to me on Patreon. I look at it with my eyeballs and then I pick the top couple. I read on the show. Uh, occasionally I do a show dedicated to. Ask Zach questions and comments and concerns uh, today and the rest of this week. I got three more episodes planned this week. We'll do questions, comments, concerns at the end of every single episode. And uh, yeah, I want to start today from with a question from Himeth. I hope I'm saying that right. Himeth writes in, he says, Hey, Zach, a fun question I was wondering, which QB do you think has the best cadence or hard count? My personal favorites have been A-Rod or Cam. With no fans, you can hear everything now, which is one of the positives coming from no fans at stadiums. Uh, Himeth, first of all, thank you. So I think people don't realize 90% of the time when I watch football, there's no audio. Uh, I, I watch game film, which doesn't have the game audio. It's kind of weird. When you watch coaches film, it's a little bit different. Not the TV copy, right? The TV copy has commentators, which I often don't like. And has, cause I, and then... Um, you hear the snap counts. Now, I will say, 
if I had to say who has the best hard count in the NFL, uh, I would say I would agree with Hamith and say it's Aaron Rodgers. If you watched the Sunday night football game between the Packers and the Saints in New Orleans, it's a home game for New Orleans, and yet with no crowd, there really was no home field advantage because Aaron Rodgers didn't have to use a silent count. There's nobody. Aaron Rodgers can just do his normal thing, yell his cadence, do whatever he wants, and he got New Orleans to jump multiple times over the line of scrimmage. And it's crazy because what Aaron Rodgers does better than anybody in the NFL, hot, 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 get somebody to jump, and then bam, he'll catch the pat, catch the snap, launch it vertically downfield. He makes a lot of big plays that way because when you jump off sides and he snaps it. Flag gets thrown, that's a five-yard penalty, but also a free play. And so uh, Aaron Rodgers does that better than anybody else in the NFL. Now, the next is kind of a, a comment from a guy named Braden. Well, uh, how do I, Braden's his username. His name is actually Cameron, um, but username on Patreon says Braden, so whatever. Uh, he writes in, he says, Hey, Zach, on a recent episode of his podcast, you got a shout-out from Marcus Whitman, a.k.a. that franchise guy. He used your pineapple juice trick for long periods of speaking. Anyway, he also said that he would love to work or collaborate with you in some capacity as well during that episode. As a fan of what I guess I'd call NFL's YouTube community, I very much enjoyed the increased collaboration we have seen from things like Football Friends, uh, the amazing what am I, what am I saying here? I very much enjoyed the increased collaboration we've seen from things like the amazing football friends subject you have added, uh, the interview you did with Flemlo, uh, plus Flemlo and KTO of a new podcast. Um, as a student in college who's studying and working to break into the business of sports journalism, I have always appreciated and gravitated towards the analysis that great content creators such as yourself make to help inform my takes when all the other guys Collaborate on YouTube. It's like a TED Talk for football. And my God, is it glorious. I can't. I'm having such a hard time reading this. He says, <laughs> he acknowledged it. He says, uh, sorry for my long-winded response and hyperbole. But all in all, I wanted to thank you for being part of the way I model my work. Share. And I want to share that cool story about the pineapple juice and forwarded TFG's message about collaborating in the future. Best regards, Cameron. I know I butchered that. I had a hard time reading that. I don't. It's uh, Cameron, thank you for your message. Uh, I support you, and I appreciate your support a lot. Uh, I also want to say I did reach out, and I talked to Marcus behind the scenes. Uh, he's a nice guy. I like him. I, I also, um, if I ever have somebody on the show, I try to take a minute to hear their content. I, it's kind of like a vetting process. I send it to my dad. My dad is like the the brand bulldog. My dad goes, are they safe? Can we work with them? And if they've got good, wholesome stuff worth talking, you know, worth having conversation with, uh, and they're not bad for the brand, <laughs> that's funny, but it's true. I do, I do go through that process. Then I work with them, and uh, if I like their content, and I looked at what Marcus does, he's well spoken. Uh, I like his stuff. I listen. I had to drive to a funeral the other day. I listened to his podcast on the way up, up and down. And um, he's also from Minnesota, which is kind of crazy. I. Uh, I lived there as a kid, so that's kind of that's not crazy, but it's kind of cool because we have that thing in common. So, um, I, we're gonna work together at some point down the road. I like Marcus; that'll be fun to have him on the show and hear his story and have a conversation with him. Uh, so, Braden, uh, I guess Cameron, do know that a collaboration with uh, that franchise guy is coming down the road, and I look forward to it because I think he's a cool guy and 
I love having conversations with people about football. Football friends is my, uh, it's my just like, you ever, it's comfort food for me, right? It's not really, I don't really make much money doing it. Uh, it doesn't get a lot of views. It's not my most popular thing, but I, I like talking to other people that do what I do. And I like hearing about other people's perspective on football. But what's cool for me is talking to guys who kind of understand my world a little bit because, I mean, let's be honest, not a lot of people are on YouTube talking about football exclusively or nearly exclusively. And so when I talk to somebody who kind of understands what I go through, um, it's just fun, man. I really enjoy that. So Rafa writes in. He says, hey, Zach, and the rest of the world, the word football stands for what Americans would call soccer. Don't you think that <laughs> hand egg would be more fitting of a term for what you call a football? Thanks for reading this with your eyeballs, and thanks for the fantastic content. Greetings, Rafa. So I, I think the gist of this is to say that should we change the name of football to hand egg? And, I mean, you make an interesting point, right? It's Footballs are barely touched with a foot in the world, in American football, and uh, hand egg is a funny—I mean, it looks like a little egg, and hand egg's a funny idea. Here is where I respectfully disagree with you, Rafa, on its own, this one thing. Is the name of the ball wrong? Maybe. Uh, but should we call football something else? Here's why not. You name sports after the ball you play with. So uh, basketball is called basketball. You play basketball with a basketball. <laughs> of course, basketball is called basketball. Uh, you play baseball with a baseball. You play football with a football. It's the name of the ball. And if they change the name of the ball, then we can change the name of the sport maybe. Uh, that'll never happen. Uh, but currently, if I sit at my house and say, hey, Nathan, throw me the thing, I mean, I say, throw me the football. I don't say, throw me the hand egg. Um, and it, like, if you're going to come up with a new name for a football, give it a better name than hand egg, please, for the love of God. Um, it's a fun conversation, uh, right, wrong, or indifferent. To me, the fact that we call the ball a football makes it work. Uh, and it's okay for things to be different. I mean, you have American football, you have uh, football in Europe and really the rest of the world, the rest of the globe. And we Americans are weird and we own that. <laughs> and I, at least I try to. And um, it does make a lot like soccer. It's just weird. We came up with a different, like, why not? What if we called football soccer? And I, I have no, that sounds stupid to me, but um, like in soccer and that, in that European, you know, Spanish, the rest of the world sport, uh, African everywhere. Right. Um, Soccer is played with your feet. So it makes a lot of sense to call that a football. The hand egg, the football that we throw in America, is with your hands and you throw it around. You barely kick it. So I get the weird confusion, but I'm rambling and ranting now about this topic. But Rafa, um, I thought it was worth reading. It's just interesting, kind of bizarro, fun stuff. W. Tyler writes in. He says, hello, Zach's eyeballs. Hello, Tyler. Uh, w. Tyler. I was wondering what your take was on garbage time points. What's the line between garbage time points and a team attempting to come back? For example, I've heard arguments that in the Bills versus Dolphins game, the last touchdown doesn't really count because it was in garbage time, even though they were down by three after the score and had a chance to win with a successful onside kick. To put it simply, at what point do garbage time points become a serious comeback attempt uh w tyler to me the question has to become did you make the other team sweat were they nervous were they afraid you were coming back uh if they had the lead 
were they trying to stop you from moving the ball? Or were they just letting you, you know, get easy yards to try to run out the clock? What was going on there? Uh, schematically, what was the defense doing? So in garbage time, I guess garbage time points are when the losing team takes advantage of a relaxed defense and pads their stats. So if you're, up, if you're losing by 40 points and you get a touchdown, that's garbage time because the defense is just like we're trying to not get hurt. We're trying to just give up easy throws underneath and get out of this game and run out the clock. But the Dolphins example sounds like a true comeback uh, attempt because, you know, they score a touchdown. It's a three-point game. It's 28-31. to 31. That's not a—you get the onside kick there. The Bills are sweating. They, they know that—so my point is that the Bills are heavily competing on that onside kick. They know they got to get the onside kick to maintain their lead. Down 10 points is not the same as being down 40 points. And so, yeah, I don't think that was a garbage time touchdown by the Dolphins against the Bills. Again, garbage time means that the other team doesn't care. They're not sweating. They're not nervous. They're not really competing anymore. They're just trying to get the game over with as soon as possible. Okay, Braden writes in. He says, hey, Zach, as a Denver fan, it's been a really tough first three weeks of the year. All of the injuries have all but ruined our chances of making a playoff push. So when I see guys in the NFL media blaming John Elway for not handling the backup quarterback situation properly, it makes me angry. I mean, it's not his fault that all of these injuries happened within the first three weeks of the season. Am I right for being upset or am I just being a blindly loyal fan? Sorry for the long question and thank you for reading. So people are blaming John Elway, getting very mad at John Elway, the general manager, the, the team president, I guess, of the Broncos because he didn't have a better option prepared as the backup quarterback of the Broncos. And anybody mad at John Elway for not having a perfect backup quarterback is someone I think is just looking for a reason to be upset. It's just silly. It's nonsense. It's ridiculous. Uh it's hard enough to find a good starting quarterback in the NFL. Like, that's nearly impossible in of itself, let alone having a good backup quarterback. Are you kidding me? Worry about one thing at a time. I mean, having a great backup quarterback is awesome. It's also not an immediate problem or an immediate priority. So, Braden, you have every right, in my opinion, to be annoyed with people who are up in arms at John Elway about having, um, you know, not having a great backup quarterback. Frankly, I find it. I didn't know that was happening until I got your message and I looked into it. It's ridiculous. I mean, I, I think this is kind of a symptom of people that get on the these shows and say literally anything because they need to fill content rather than because they are like you literally have on Espen and big networks like that. And I say Espen intentionally. And someday people will catch on and know that I'm not just an idiot who doesn't know how to say ESPN. Um, but on those gigantic network shows, you have people that say, hey, you're talking about the Broncos today. You're on one side. You're on the other. Pick your side and go. And they have to just criticize people and be angry and upset and inflammatory because they know that creates controversy and gets views. And so um, in the NFL, I mean, for example, this is why it's dumb to be mad at John Elway. In the NFL, it's commonly and widely accepted that if your quarterback gets hurt, your year is over. Your season is over. And so uh, within, within very few, there are very few rare exceptions to that. So. Yeah, being mad at John Elway, that's so stupid and ridiculous. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. Guys, that's all I have. Uh, thank you so very much. I, uh, 
I don't know. I got to call the dentist. I uh, get my wisdom teeth plan to get out. I uh, I'm gonna watch Monday Night Football. What is it? Thursday? Jesus. <laughs> I'm gonna go watch Thursday Night Football, and uh, it'll be a good time. So, guys, my name is Axe Schaumler. Hope you have a great day. But um bum bam, we are done.